And good evening, ladies and gentlemen, citizens of the world. This is the Between the Joysticks podcast. We are back for another consecutive week. Um, so I just want to make this known. Uh, we have a small change to regular programming. Uh, after I kind of thought about it a little bit, we're going to start doing our releases on Saturday mornings. A couple reasons. Uh, that gives us some more flexible time. With recording, uh, we can't always make Thursday nights like we're doing today. And a lot of big news comes out on Fridays. So, yeah, plus it gives you that Saturday morning cartoon vibe, too. Uh, so if you guys are into that, it's kind of another little callback. But it just makes it easier on us. That way we're not dedicated to Friday morning. We're dedicated to Saturday morning. If we can't do it on Thursday like we have not been able to do in the past, it'll be Saturday morning. Um, for the most part, we should be able to keep that in line uh, without having too many flaws. So... Putting that out of the way, let's get right into it. Uh, we're going to jump in. Uh, Bethesda is now officially confirmed to be attending E3 this year. Uh, I'm sure some people aren't shocked just because it's E3, it's Bethesda, but we have to remember, Sony doesn't go anymore, EA doesn't really go anymore, Nintendo hasn't gone in the last couple years, So, uh, and after the show last year, people really weren't sure what Bethesda was going to show. I mean, a lot of people are just pulling out of E3 just all around, regardless of whether it's game developers, whether it's... I mean, because... Costs are high. Bethesda is still doing their own standard Bethesda days in in Boston, like they have been. So, I mean, they're still continuing doing that. I'm kind of surprised when they announced they were still doing that, that they even announced that they would show at E3 the way everybody else has been going. Well, I mean, you have to look at what they've got going on. Bethesda Gameworks has Starfield. I imagine we see something from them. Um... My gut tells me Starfield's going to release this fall, but it could very well be 2021 as well. If that's the case, I don't know if we'll see anything from them because that's just how Bethesda works. That you generally don't like to give a long window to from game announcement to release. So I don't see us getting a whole lot from that unless we know the game is releasing either in the fall or the spring. Uh, more than likely, it'll be a fall title with um, uh, Bethesda Game Studios. We know that um, id Software is not doing anything. Uh, because they've got a game coming out in about a month. Uh, actually, a m- almost a month to the day in Doom Eternal. Uh, I bet we get some. We may get a little bit of DLC for that, but that's not going to be anything huge. Um, Machine Games, uh, they are confirmed to have Wolfenstein 3 in the works. With them just have done Youngblood, I don't know if we'll... We'll hear anything about Wolfenstein 3 this early. We very well may. Um, I could see it being one of those things where it's teased like it was back in 2017 and then released in 2018. Um, so we've got that. Uh, Tango Gameworks also has Ghostwire Tokyo coming out or coming out soon. We don't know when the release date for that is exactly. Um, I have to imagine that hit a little bit of a road bump after their creative director left. I cannot... Uh, Akumi Nakamura. I believe that's her name. Um, she was on stage... Two years ago, talking about it, uh, she was very lively, very uh, eccentric about the product uh, project, um, and it, she left last year, uh, late last year. So we don't know how that's been affected with her stepping away from that. Um, but they do have that, and then Arcane Studios also has Deathloop, uh, which we got a little bit of a teaser to last year. That looks like it could be pretty good. They've done good things with uh, Dishonored and Prey. Those are two of the my, two of my more favorite underrated games. I would say Dishonored's a, a great time to have, mainly because you can play both of those games however you want for the most part, whether it be lethal, non-lethal, stealth, pretty much any way you want. You can still complete the game. So what they do is 
generally pretty good. Their level design works out pretty well most of the time. Uh, that's an underrated studio in my opinion. So they may have, you know, something to show. I, I have to imagine um, this this is going to be very similar to the 2015 conference where we got a, a lot of Fallout 4 and just a bunch of little stuff there at the beginning. Um, we'll probably get some 76 updates. I'm sure they'll have another new season for that. Um, I imagine we'll get an update on their mobile game Blades as well. Yeah, we haven't heard a lot from that. Um, we, the last big thing we got was it was coming to the Switch, and they changed some things to the chests. I'm not real big in... I never got real big into Blades. Um, I thought it was an interesting idea, but I... Agreed. I just... I only have one game that I play on mobile, and that's the Marvel Future Fight game, and that's just because I get to collect all the characters, and it gives me a little bit of... Exactly. Bit of cool, cool lore and stuff. Guilty pleasure game. Yeah. There's nothing wrong with that. Yeah. I play Star Wars Galaxy Heroes. I get it. But that game is so time-consuming and all the daily challenges and stuff that I have to do that I don't I don't even keep up with Fallout Shelter on my phone. Anymore. Yeah, I stopped doing that, too. Fallout Shelter is purely when I'm on airplanes or traveling, like when I'm on long road trips or something. Like That's a good thing. I don't have to have Wi-Fi or any real connection to do. Yes. So I think that's a, that's a great thing that they've got going on is that I like their the two mobile games they've turned out, Fallout Shelter and Blades. I liked Fallout Shelter when I played it. I didn't really get into Blades very much, but it's not because I didn't like it. I just don't have the time for it. I think both of their mobile ideas have been very good. Um, it's something that I hope they keep building on because they've got some good IP that I think they could interact with other big titles in the future. So that's something that we may see a little bit of. I don't know if we'll get anything necessarily per se this year on anything coming up, but I'm saying in the future that could be something that we do, that we do see. So... Like I said, I think it's going to be more of a 2015 thing. We get a lot of Starfield, a lot of the big Bethesda Game Studios game, especially with how Fallout 76 has went the last two years. Um, and Bethesda Austin working on them, uh, working on 76. Bethesda Maryland is obviously going to be working on Starfield. Um, I don't think we see anything from Elder Scrolls 6. It's too far away. I still think that game is at least two or three years off. Um, now... Before Bethesda was cranking out games, it was like every three to forty years. Uh, I mean, if you look at the if you look at the release calendar, we got Fallout Three in two thousand eight, we got Skyrim in twenty eleven, we got Fallout Four in twenty fifteen, and we got seventy six in twenty eighteen. So it's usually three to four years. But since they've added two new studios, I could see them starting to release games more in a two year. Structure because you've got a studio who can start pre-production and then they can move on to the or to the Maryland studio to finish it up essentially because we obviously know Austin's the one working on uh, Fallout seventy six Montreal is their mobile game studio and then Bethesda Maryland um, I believe there's two studios there if there's if they're not both there the other one I'm not quite sure where is that and I apologize about that uh, I do know that there is another one uh, but they generally work on the bigger things so there'll be Starfield Elder Scrolls. Things like that. Um, that's pretty much it from there. I mean, do you have anything? Uh, I don't... The only other things that we have really video game-wise, uh, I'm assuming that's where you're trying to wrap that up, is um, we have confirmation, loose confirmation from Tom Holland. He said in interviews because he is set to direct, to not direct, set to star in uh, the Uncharted film, which has been on the slot from, from that studio for... Since 2015. Almost, 10, almost yeah, almost yeah. 10 it, it was greenlit. Greenlit green and director... It was, yeah, a director was attached and it went into production, pre-production, however you want to say it with movies, um, in 2015. And we really, ha we, they've changed the directors six times, I think, since then. They, they still don't have a director now, but Tom Holland has said they, they do have a script. It is very much going to follow what we saw in Uncharted 4. So if anybody's played Uncharted 4, you know, there's a lot of, like, 
childhood flashbacks and things like that. He said, so it is going to be a prequel. These are things that we know. Yes. Tom Holland is still set, still set to star. He is not going to, he has not abandoned this project yet. So I think he's going to see it through, especially since he's such a big fan of the Uncharted series. He yes. loves Uncharted 4. He said, that's pretty much where the script is going to follow is those kind of childhood instances that we got to see in the game. It's going to build off that. It's going to be a direct prequel to the video game franchise. And, uh, even though there's no director and there is no 100% confirmed script, they are planning within the next four weeks to really ramp up production on it, um, which grants us to believe that there's probably going to be some hope for a director announcement fairly soon. And speaking of directors, holy God, Eli Roth of Horror Movie Make is set to direct the Borderlands video game. That's right, your favorite comedic satire... <laughs> post-apocalyptic foreign alien planet video game franchise is set to be directed by I, Horror Me. I think we have differing opinions on this. I mean, so, no, here's the thing. Here's the thing. I love films like, you know, Book of Eli, where it was dark and it was post-apocalyptic, and that's great. And I can totally see where a darker apocalyptic world, very much akin to what we saw in the CW's 100, is, is a good unique way of doing it, especially if you're going to do it in a gritty kind of thing. But I was really kind of hoping that it would stick with that satirical crazy nonsense because, I mean, if you don't get into all the cra into all the crazier stuff, if you just do that Handsome Jack story in just one film, main storyline, just go up, go up against him, do the thing, you can make a pretty decent film out of it. Agreed. So... And still keep most of that stuff together while still bringing the, the more serious nonsense to it. But, I mean, I would even take that as an animated movie, just because of its comic book origins. I wouldn't necessarily even take it to the full so realistic level, but I understand the reason for, for them wanting to do that. There's a, there's a lot of different things I see with this. For one, I think they picked Eli Roth because he is more of a director who does... For one, he does a lot of gore. Okay, fair. I think for the I think for the Borderlands movie to work, there we need to see that. There needs to be because that's in the games. It's a cell shaded gore, but it's there's a lot of it in the games. I think also the reason they kind of chose him is because the horror movies he does do sometimes, um, they are a little bit more on the comedic side. Yeah, no, I mean, not a lot of them. Um, obviously, they do have a healthy influx of of. Now I'm not saying they're good, and I'm not saying they're particularly funny, but we get things like. The Piranha movies. He did one of those. Um, he starred in uh, Inglorious Bastards. I don't think he actually directed it. I think he was part of that, though, as a producer. So he has a little bit of, you know, knowledge in that area, I think. But that's the main reason I think they brought him in. Um, that's fair. But, I mean, when it all comes down to it, what's the reason that most video game films have failed? It's because they don't embrace the thing that made the games lovable. And what's the one thing that makes Borderlands lovable, aside from the fact that it's just a good couch co-op, is the fact that it is nonsensical satire full of Absolutely. culture references. It is the Deadpool of video games, yes. essentially. Yeah, I'll give you that. Literally, raining guns. Yes. So, I mean, I just, I don't, I'm very curious to see how it goes. And part of the reason that the Sonic film has done super well is it embraced the audience that it was very much supposed to do. It very much embraced all the core tenements of what it was supposed to do. Every other game that has, game film that has come out with the exception of Jumanji, which has really managed to rebrand itself in a way that really yes. kept that franchise alive and I'm super glad it has. But again, that's a film based off a board game that was based off some other story or book way long ago that it's not a true 
video game franchise. Right. Like things like Rampage and other things, they sort of did. But the problem was those games were sort of so unknown to anybody who wasn't into super retro games like Rampage, which was a true arcade shooter back in the day. I mean, but you can't really pick up on a lot of popularity for something like that. Let's be honest. A lot of the video game movies we see aren't good. Another reason is because if you were to play, if you were to show that movie to somebody and then you were to tell them to play the game and not give them information on the title, they wouldn't think that they were connected half the time. That's another thing. Lionsgate, um, the people who are producing it, have said that they want to be. I know I, that's kind of the same face. These are the same guys <laughs> that ruined what should have been a fantastic Assassin's Creed film. So yeah, I mean that obviously that's what you're. But they've said that they want to do it justice. They know what they've got with it. I'm also hoping that um, Randy Pitchford, the Gearbox CEO, is. And this is when I want him to be an insane person. I hope he kind of steps in and goes, no, 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 none of this is right. This is how it has to be, or it's not happening. I also, I mean, I very much see this as being a thing where. Granted, it'll be a lot more difficult because a lot more characters and the way they build story is going to be much more integral to this film than necessarily the Sonic film. But depending on how quickly we get to see what's going on, because we've gotten things like, you know, we've gotten test footage for Deadpool, we've gotten test footage for Robert Pattinson's Batman recently, which I have my own views on, but we're not going to get into that tonight, because uh, that's neither here nor there. And when we got to see the original art for the finished Sonic film, Fans got together and said, this is absolutely not yes. what we want to see. We will not support this in theaters. And then they went back. And granted, that is a crap ton of work for anybody to expect any team of animators to go back and redo all that. Because that is ridiculously heavily intensive work. And for them to do it in yes. such a short amount of time was astounding and amazing and a true testament yeah. to that team. It backed the film up, what, five or six months, something yeah. like that? It was supposed to come out in, I think, September or August. And yeah, it but it's done really well so. because of that. So yes. I think... We might be seeing something along that lines where if initial test screenings and things in the in the social media realm aren't necessarily looking positive for this film, they, we might see some major reshoots and yeah. things like that. and I think that's fair. Um, and I very much hope that's the case if this ends up going pear-shaped in a way that nobody wants it to go. Yes, and I also think it's, it's fair to point out you brought up animation or live action. I, I honestly, because I didn't even think about that originally. I thought, okay, this is going to be live action, no question about it. It plays out as a, as a, as a comic book with the shading yes. and the gradient. Shape so I, I really don't know which way I would prefer, honestly. I don't know if there's a way you can do live action with that cel-shaded look. I know that there are some cosplayers who can pull it off, but I don't know if you can do that for an entire live action movie. Essentially, I mean, there's ways you could do it because I mean, Spider Verse was a healthy dose of it was 2D animation that was presented and framed in a perfect way that at some points it looked three dimensional, but it was all 2D art. I mean, and very much the same way the Archer TV series is very much the same way. It's two cell animation that they've that right when you get to an action scenes with like car chases and things like that, it almost looks three dimensional. That would be interesting. It, 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 there's just very there's very interesting ways of doing two D animation that makes it look three D without having to go full CGI character creation. I'm curious if they would they would kind of do something like that just to just I mean honestly I mean Spider Man did so well you'd think we'd start getting kind of more movies that look like that just because of, that's generally how the trends go. Someone sees a movie like that and everyone starts flocking to it. Well, I'm, I'm not big on animation, but that's just me. It is, but I mean, the thing is when you go to do real life, real life things versus, and even CGI heavily influenced things versus cartoons and 3D rendering and, and even very advanced 2D animation like we saw in Spider-Verse and Archer. Right. 
that opens up a lot more realms of possibilities for things that you can do that you don't have to dedicate stuntmen and all sorts yes. of other crazy things. Yep. It brings that production value down in one aspect, but you're increasing it in the animation budget. But it really frees you up to do a lot more things, be a lot more faithful to the work. Yes. And I think that's part of why Spider-Verse did very, very well. Yeah, I think I think Borderlands, I don't think it can go wrong. I mean, it, it definitely can go wrong. Oh, in, it can go wrong. I mean, it can go wrong, but I don't think it can go wrong in going live action or animation. Obviously, me, I would always prefer something live action. I've never been big on animation. Um, not to say I'm not a big animation fan, but... If if you could if you told me okay you get to choose do you want something in live action or do you want something animated I'm always going to choose live action just because that's that way of storytelling talks to me better than than animation does because I know if I see something in live action I just think it looks more impressive because that that means that either we have the technology that's able to do that and that's incredible or it just looks more lifelike to me when you have animation involved you can get a little bit more crazy with the things you do and that's obviously what borderlands is so that's not a bad thing i'm not saying animation is not going to work i'm just saying i think i would i would prefer to see a live action borderlands just to see what it looks like i mean so we can interact very much will and i imagine what we're going to see is we're going to see something very akin to like a mad like the most recent mad max films i think with a lot more color yeah i mean and that and that's hopefully what what we get yeah that's i imagine that's what we're going to see now that i think about it a little bit more um yeah i'm not cool with with that. that But it does need to have that outlandish and satirical approach yes. to the story. And I think it will. I think the, the writers they hire, I, I imagine... That's my issue. I'm just worried about tone. Yes. <laughs> and I think they'll they'll be fine with that. I think, you know, you'll bring the right writers in. You'll have writers who worked on on the uh, the series at Gearbox hopefully come and help out a little bit. And like I said, Randy Pittsford, he's a crazy person. So if he gets involved, there's probably a, a, good, a good tone for that. Um, another thing I do want to talk about, uh, PS5 production costs already up to $450 due to a um, piece of technology that is they have described as, I believe, a cooling device that is being hard to come by, um, and that's jacking the price up a little bit. Now, we have to remember, this is $450 production, so this is not shipping. This is not packaging. This is not marketing included with this. Um, I can already see Sony... Sony's going to take a loss on this console because they're not going to do what they did with the PS3. That would be silly. We know that they know from a fact that if they come out with a $600 console and they go up against anything less with Microsoft, they'll get killed in pricing. And they, I mean, and, and most, most manufacturers take a loss on consoles day one anyway. But I, I cannot imagine this thing being more than $500. I just can't. I just think because I don't think Microsoft is going to be. I don't think they're going to be more than five hundred dollars. I think no, they're going to keep it at five hundred. When they dropped the original OG Xbox One, it was price tag day one five hundred bucks. That was with a Connect, with console, with an True. with like two or three games packaged in with it. But when they started rolling out the X and the S and all that stuff, yeah, they were five hundred dollars. But they also came with significant hardware upgrades from what was a standard five hundred gig on day one. To one terabyte, two terabyte versions. It didn't have a connect with it, but nobody was really asking for that. And it really boosted all the other hardware specs that came with it. Yes. I just think, I think I honestly think Microsoft's going to come basic out. basic 500G versions of those newer consoles, which I think they even barely top at top bottom in at one terabyte. Pretty sure that's the new standard now. All those original OG Xboxes got dropped down to like 300, 350, and all the new ones came out right at five hundred dollars yeah that was an upgrade that everybody understood that that price was actually worth it by that point so so the ps4 launched at 400 the xbox one launched at 500 
And we obviously saw what happened right there. PS4 obviously got a little bit of a jump. There were some other issues with Microsoft. We're not going to talk about those right now. But, I mean, it was some, It was obviously a, a big deal. Plus, PlayStation has, has come out and had issues in the past with the PS3. They placed that at $600. They had a lot of issues selling that for the most part. Now, I understand there's plenty of people who bought the PS3, and there was other issues other than just the price. The controller is something that they didn't like. Um, there was a lot of other issues. My point is, if you're already $400, $450 deep in the hole, and I'm Microsoft, and we were going to price it at 500 bucks, and we know that we're going to make a profit on that, and then I look over, and Phil Spencer looks at me and goes, we're pricing this thing at $400. I don't think Sony can even keep up with that, because you, like, you, like I said, you're at $450 before shipping, packaging, marketing. That's just to create the thing. Right, and they know they're going to take a hit on this anyway. Yeah, and that's then hopefully as time goes by. Yeah, things will get yeah things will get more common, so it's not going to happen as much. But my thing is, I don't know how I don't know how much Sony is willing to bite the bullet. We know that they can be a little bit stubborn for the things they've done in the past. I know that they they they're going to have to. I mean, like I said, it, this thing cannot be priced more than five hundred dollars. I think me and you know that. I think anybody I mean, if it else goes over out there. Bucks, if it comes anywhere near close to six hundred dollars, why not just go out and build your own gaming? Exactly. PC? I think and that's the a, problem you run grab into. Grab a steaming account, and the, I mean, granted, you're not going to get all the PlayStation exclusives, which that's really the only thing that I think is going to force people to pay whatever Sony is going to make people pay is the fact that they still have exclusives that Xbox really doesn't. I mean, yeah, there are a bunch of timed exclusives that eventually make their way to other consoles, or they'll have ones that immediately go to Xbox or uh, PC. And there's even certain ones that are timed with PlayStation, because most game developers nowadays, yes, there's a few that are dedicated and they, they want to get only by that one fan base, but a majority of developers nowadays, they want to get their games into as, the hands of as many people as yes. possible. So I, I really just think... So, and right now, so you can get an Xbox One X... For three hundred dollars on sale, normal price is still five hundred. But I haven't. Let's be honest. I haven't seen a five hundred dollar price tag since well before Christmas. It's been three fifty, three hundred dollars. So I feel like that price is going to stay put from here on out. I don't think it's going to get any any higher than that. That makes me think easily that Microsoft's going to the Xbox Series X is going to be priced at five hundred bucks. That five hundred dollar price tag for their what was their most powerful console? What is is the most powerful console in the world currently? It's not sticking anymore. So that makes me think that, okay, they can they can introduce this four times powerful console and go, yep, 500 bucks, right there it is. What I'm saying is if PlayStation comes out and they find out that, okay, PlayStation's taking a cut to go $500, we'll go down to $400, make it up in software sales, which is very possible if you're, I mean, obviously... If, if you had the exclusives coming, like Microsoft says they've got this console generation, yeah, I don't, yeah, I don't think that they have a problem with taking more of a hit on a console in order to get it into everybody's hands. That's their thing. They just want their stuff in everybody's hands. They don't care how it gets there. I they mean, don't care for the most part where you play their games. Even yeah, they just want you that. to play it. Their major thing now is just getting gaming into the hands of more people, which they're not even really. I mean, depending on what source you read on the internet now, they're not really even concerned about the the console war anymore. Because that that their overall yeah and game plan is shifting as is the nature of gaming and you can pay monthly to get an Xbox now I mean I just don't see I just do not see Microsoft getting beat out on price this generation at all it's just not going to happen in my opinion Sony's got too many things to hurdle over concerning the console and some other things that 
I just don't I just don't think that and that's not me being a Microsoft fanboy. I've got both consoles. I I love the PS4 for its exclusives. I think it plays great. It runs great. I have an, an OG Xbox One. I don't even have an X because I've I've held out essentially. And at this point it's too late to buy an X. I might as well just buy the Series X when it comes out. But I just and, and I mean it'll be a backwards compatible, we'll be fine. Yeah, exactly. But here's the I mean the thing is I don't I don't care who wins the console generate the generations. It doesn't matter to me because obviously Microsoft got the crap beat out of it last generation. But we got all these amazing games from Sony. So that's why, I, regardless, uh, even if the Sony PlayStation Five doesn't sell well, we're still probably going to get great exclusives from them. Even if the Microsoft console doesn't sell well, we're still going to get probably some pretty good games. Xbox Game Pass, uh, X Cloud, all that stuff is still coming regardless. So I, I could care less who wins. I just want to make sure that, you know, I'm just I'm just sitting here going, okay, PS, you know, PlayStation looks like they're in a little bit of trouble here, coming into this generation. And that's not something I want because I want them to be I want them to be you know a healthy competitor because it makes everything else better. When your competitors are two titans and they keep butting heads, that just makes everything from games you create to services you create go up, and it's just better for consumers overall. Um, that's just my two cents, though. I do think that there's going to be an issue. I'm curious to see where everything's priced. Like I said, I don't think it's going to be over $500 for either of them. I would be shocked if it is. Um, like I said, Sony learned their lesson with the PS3. I kind of think Microsoft saw that lesson too, and they learned it with the $500 price point of the Xbox One with the Kinect. Now, obviously, if you're making someone pay for a stronger, more powerful console, that's a little bit different. Um, another one more small piece of gaming news that came through right literally right before we started. Uh, e, this is a report from Kotaku. EA has canceled a Battlefront spinoff last year, uh, uh, sometime last year. A Jedi Fallen Order sequel is in development, and a smaller title, uh, much more. Um, it's a much more different title than what we'd be used to as uh, in development. Now I don't know when they say a smaller title if they mean like a mobile game or uh, maybe like a remaster or if it's something that ties into something that we're just not really used to. Uh, but that's some interesting news to think about. I'm glad that we're getting a Fallen Order sequel. That game was amazing. Um, I'm not ex I'm not upset that they canceled a Battlefront spinoff for the most part. Battlefront 2 has been great with the services and the upgrades it's gotten. Um, I hope that it continues to do well. A small nugget on that, Ben Walk, the community manager for Star Wars Battlefront 2, has left EA. Um, we don't know where he's going, but he is out of the picture. He is a was a big part of keeping that game um, together, answering people's questions, things like that. So that's a big hit for Star Wars Battlefront, essentially. Um, but hopefully things keep going well over there. And hopefully this small title they've got in development uh, is something that we will, uh, will impress us as well. Um... Couple other things to talk about. Uh, one one last piece of gaming news: um, the Bioware reset for Anthem. Um, this is something that's been rumored for a while. It has been confirmed now. Yeah, it's total uh, ground up redo. Reboot. Yeah, pretty much. They've said that what they want to do is not possible through DLC. That makes me think that they're taking the game and completely overhauling it. Yeah, that's what I'm not surprised. Uh, I kind of thought this was coming, unless it, because here's the thing: how often? I mean, honestly, let's let's look back. How often are games released and then completely and totally abandoned? The last one I can think of is Evolve, and that lasted for a season of DLC at least. I mean, Evolve was was. 
honestly just a, it wasn't marketed the way it should have been a mar- should have been Agreed. marketed. I think, and there was a lot of good deep lore in it that you got to explore through through loading screens and play and actually playing through the mechanics and. I Agreed. thought it was a really interesting thing. Was a lot of the story was told through character dialogue and, and banter. Throughout, I, th- I throughout. think, and that's a, that's part of the problem that like obviously casual gamers who, who get into something like that they're not going to stick to as much. We live in a generation very much where things are thrown in your face, and if they're not thrown in your face, it's it it either goes by you or you don't care about it, which is unfortunate. Because um, I think of all had some nice concepts. Obviously, the four v one is something that is different. I just don't think I played it a little bit. Uh, I think it was free on. I mean, anybody who likes Xbox the juggernaut mode in any kind of PvP game would love evolve. Essentially, that. that's what it is. The monster is a giant juggernaut that the other team players have to try to. I think it's something that's a, just a little too niche. Now, if they had like now, if that was a mode inside of another game, I think it would have done a lot better. I think if there was more expansive things to do in that, if there was a story mode or maybe maybe traditional multiplayer or something like that, it would have been a little bit more successful. Obviously, that wasn't the case, unfortunately, um, because I played it a little bit and some of the things I did do, I did have a good time with. Um, it's just unfortunate that that game ended a little bit sooner, but. Hopefully, Bioware gets their stuff together. Um, we obviously know that this Bioware is not the Bioware who created um, Jade Empire, KOTOR, the massive, the original Mass Effect games, uh, Dragon Age Origins, things like that. Uh, there's been people who moved on, people who are no longer there. So that obviously changes the landscape of, of you know everything that's going on. So. It is a little bit different, but it, I am glad that they're resetting it. Uh, there are some good things about Anthem. The gameplay is 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 good, uh, and I can say the same thing about Mass Effect Andromeda. The gameplay is good. It's the world building, the story, the overall world itself, the tone of the games that are the problem. It's not the gameplay features. Those are those are good. That's what's good about Bioware right now is their gameplay their gameplay loops for the most part, are very good. It's just the bringing you into the world, immersing you, getting the, the world correct. That is the biggest problem, in my opinion. Um, and hopefully, they can get that together. Um, another thing is that we want to talk about, uh, the Cassian Andor production date was pulled. We do not have a replacement date yet. Uh, it was supposed to do go this summer. Um, we No one knows why it was pulled. My assumption was... That the focus is on Kenobi currently, uh, that Kenobi series. Um, I have to imagine the Cassian show will, will go into um, uh, production soon after Kenobi starts filming. And I would also say that another reason is for scripts. That's kind of been the rumor out there, but it has not been confirmed. My opinion, when you rewrite scripts, it's usually a good thing because it's going to strengthen some things that may be a little bit weaker. But at any time like that, you never know. It may just be something that they feel uncomfortable with or things that are changing due to what's going on in the Star Wars universe at the time. And they want to make sure that everything lines up together. Like we talked about a couple episodes before, Star Wars is tricky and where everything is the same universe. Books, comics, movies, video games. It's all – it's not like Marvel where you've got the MCU and then you've got a comic run and then you've got another comic run. Star Wars is all together in the same universe all the time. So it does get a little bit crowded sometimes. Um, our last big story of the night, uh, the Sony chairman wants to extend the Spider-Man deal with Disney past the third movie. And I think they, th- this is something that fans have long been going on about. Supposedly there have been talks about them wanting to set things up after this deal is over. 
Uh, granted, it was originally very tenuous, and I think that's because they were trying to push out all these, all these you know, uh, independent Spider-Verse films and things like that. But the potential for them to make all this extra money, because, um, I mean, granted, while the original Sam Raimi Spider-Man films were good in their own rights, and while the Andrew Garfield iterations had their own merits in and of themselves... They weren't necessarily great, but the things they were trying to do, I understood where it was yeah, going. Yeah, absolutely. I, I enjoyed uh, some of the narratives they were trying to put forward there. Um, but I think, I mean, the Tom Holland Spider-Man, whether, there, there's going to be a lot of Sam Raimi fanboys that obviously are going to crap all over it and poo-poo the MCU for its more PG leanings, um, whether that's right or wrong. I mean, most films are PG-13, so it's fine. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so I don't really understand the, the big, their big qualm is you know the the mouse is controlling things and, and playing things down, but uh, the success of the Tom Holland films is way more profitable for Sony than, yes. than any non MCU franchise has uh, has been. So for them to continue that, I mean, we know Tom Holland loves the MCU. He wants to stay stay in there. He's very much the reason that the deal didn't fall apart and managed to stay as it was. Yes. Um, he was integral to that. Um, and, and we know that, you know, Kevin Feige wants to keep Spider-Man in the MCU. They worked so hard to just to get that deal to begin with, the original deal, yes. let alone to try to keep him in there. Uh, it, it's going to be mutually beneficial for everybody around there. And as long as they can, you know, figure out what their monetization priorities are yes. for each other, then then I think that that's going to be the really the only hurdle that we've seen so far is who gets the rights to what and in what amount. As long as they can find a way to share it that everybody comes out on top, literally everybody is going to win, regardless of how much money they're going to make. Because yeah. they have so much other Spider-Man products and merchandise and stuff like that that's not based off the actual film iteration. I mean, they still have a majority of, of toy rights and everything else. So... Yeah, it really, it's really promising to me and getting to watch Spider-Man kind of be the new Tony Stark as the MCU moves forward as him being this leading character who kind of is the big carryover from the last phase to push things forward and get yeah. to see Spider-Man grow the way we got to see him grow in the comics into becoming, you know, more of that college age into adulthood, not just the kid who doesn't really know what he's doing, but into the struggling adult who's trying to balance everything and getting to watch that actually play out. Yeah. And get to see some more mature storylines and villains that kind of interplay with him and MJ with his love life and trying to balance three different people and and things like that that we get from like maybe Black Cat or with his college internships with Doc Ock that really bring out some of these bigger characters that much more emotionally impact him and make it a much more interesting thing. That's really where the bread and butter is going to be for me. Whether or not we actually get to see any of that stuff remains to be seen because of yes. whatever plans Kevin Feige has. and They've already got everything planned out in Phase 4 and Phase 5 for the most part based on the current deal as it is, which means no more Spider-Man after 3. But that doesn't mean they can't rework it enough, that it's not nebulous enough they can yes. rework it. Yeah, I mean, we. so when Phase 4 was announced, I looked back at, my brother is a big MCU fan, we looked back at some of the things from Phase 3 and Phase 2 that were announced. Uh, I mean, you have to think, uh, the Inhumans... Movie was completely eliminated. Yeah, uh, things were things were put in its place. Yeah, I mean, there's plenty of things that they that come in and out that change dates all the time. Um, I, I'll be honest. There's still there's still uh, the scene. I still need John Barenthal carrying Tom Holland, bloodied and beaten, through the door and laying him on the table. 
I need that scene. I need that scene, Kevin. I need it. If you're listening, anybody at, at, at Disney, at Marvel, I need that scene. Tom Holland can't leave until we get that. Um, but but re- legitimately, I, I think that it is going to be something that sticks around. I would be shocked if, essentially like you said, Kevin Feige worked very hard to get Spider-Man into the MCU. If he were to just kind of up and vanish uh, the way that we thought he kind of was after Spider-Man 2, I would be shocked. It just doesn't make... I mean, it doesn't make very much financial sense between either of them. I mean, it happens in the comics. He disappears. Right. But I'm, what I'm back. saying is... Sony obviously can't do this correctly. They've had two shots at it. And they've stric- they've struck it out both times. Now, let's be honest. Sam Raimi was very good. His, his, his trilogy, one and two... Two is probably one of, one of, what was one of the best superhero movies until the MCU came yeah, along. Yeah, absolutely. And I think... The, the one thing we have to take into real consideration is there was an awful lot of micromanagement in that third film because you could very easily tell, and Sam Raimi has, has said this publicly, the film he wanted to tell was with Venom. Sony said, no, Sandman. There's, <laughs> so, there's a lot going on in that third, a lot but going I think, on. I think, there's, um, I think there's a lot to be seen, especially from the way that superhero films used to be super micromanaged, and even with what we saw with how micromanaged they were with the X-Men franchise, and then how they were a little more hands-off with Deadpool, and the more latter uh, kind of reinventions of, of the X-Men franchise, which were still a little rough, but those early iterations were still very, very tightly controlled, and not necessarily playing into what fans wanted. Right. We kind of saw that break with the Wolverine, and with... Deadpool and Logan uh, with Logan again um, and then we got to see it also with DC where they kind of got rid of the Warner Brothers micromanaging nonsense and we got to see probably the only DC film that I consider to be a perfect solid comic book outing from them which was Wonder Woman I've heard uh, great things about that I still haven't seen it that's the only film that I think I, I thoroughly enjoyed and you... actually felt like they hit the mark with it. Because most DC films, this is kind of how I, how I view it for most people, just so you know what my opinions are, is DC always manages to hit the bar, but they never manage to exceed it in any any major way. They, they offer some interesting things, they do some interesting things with the characters, and they take some interesting liberties, and they present, present some good ideas, but there's never like any flurry of easter eggs that says oh man it's a comic book lover i really understand and get this but it's not wholly important to the rest of the story it's just there for flavor and more fun right and that's the other thing is you don't really get to have fun with the dc stuff even in the comics batman's cracking jokes and sarcasm and very very dry humor yes um there's absolutely i mean i don't think he smiles once in the dark knight trilogy folks the un the most unrealistic bounds of realism that they try to instill in themselves thanks to Zack Snyder and Christian and Christian Bale's Batman series is just I don't appreciate the holier than thouness of it. Wonder Woman kind of broke free of that a little bit. They injected a little bit of light into the character quite literally because the film also wasn't set with that stupid dark camera mask over it. So we actually got to have a little bit of color. We got to see them actually like try to crack a few jokes. It didn't necessarily land 100% perfectly in Aquaman, but they continued to step out in that different direction. Suicide Squad was another step in the direct, right direction and kind of, you know, messy, another, another messy back, movie. Because they kind of didn't really fully perform on, on that either. Um, I'm but curious. What we've seen with Harley Quinn and Birds of Prey is it was very much like Wonder Woman and they took a very good step in the right direction because they let the director tell the story they wanted to tell and they let 
directors who actually enjoy running those characters, who enjoy reading about those characters, who really take the material seriously, produce it, and produce it in a way that is unique and original, but also pays a lot of good homage to the original comics in a fun way that also feels realistic and organic to the world that they have existing there. And the fact that DC isn't really bound to that multiverse like they were trying to set up with the MCU. That's helped them a lot. Um, so I think, you know, with Sony pushing also in that in that similar direction where they're being a little more hands-off with it and kind of having to share the property with Kevin Feige and the MCU guys a little bit, which they themselves are very, very passionate about what they do. I think that was the main problem with the Andrew Garfield series was they were very micromanaging. It was very much, okay, let's crank out as much money with this as we possibly can. It wasn't necessarily about paying homage to the character yeah. and, and doing it well. Like I said, DC always almost hits the bar. DC hit, or Marvel hits the bar and then exceeds it and just starts stomping on it and throwing everything they can at you. And you just have a good time. You still feel like there's some, some amount of realism to it, but at the end of the day, it's still a comic book movie and you enjoy going to see it. Yeah. DC movies, you're going to come out of them and for the most part, you're going to sit there and go, okay, well, that was interesting, but I... I I don't really feel like I saw anything different than than last time. Right. So, I, and that's the nice thing about the MCU. And I'm gonna I'm gonna give this the the movie I dislike the most as the best example. The MCU does a lot of things different than the comics, so it's not always the same storyline. My best example is Iron Man three. When we first saw this movie, I think I complained more than anybody else ever. I've warmed up to it recently. Just because I think there are a lot of things that they're still going to do well with it. Obviously, we know the Mandarin is still around. He's going to be a Shang-Chi villain. That was one of the, my biggest gripes with it. Uh, I also feel like they kind of got rid of Modoc without actually getting rid of him um, with the AIM thing. Now, that could something that could pop up in the MCU further down the line. They could come back with it. But that's what's nice about the MCU as well. Things are, are different enough to where we don't always know what is coming, even if you've seen the comics. So that, that is a good thing, in my opinion. Um, the MCU does a lot of good things. They do a lot of great things. They do very few bad things, and, and that is what I think is going to keep them, them going. Um, this phase is obviously one of the most important phases coming up. This is what is going to tell us if the MCU is going to be able to survive without the original you know, of six Avengers, essentially, plus the other groups that were added. Um, so I, I'm excited for this. I think because I do think that Spider-Man and and Doctor Strange, and Winter Soldier and Falcon and Vision and Wanda, uh, they can all carry this this team. And I know I, I Black Panther, um, and I know there's some others that I'm forgetting. I know that they essentially can use them as their new group of Avengers or whatever team they want to use, and add plenty of new characters through Disney Plus and things like that. Um, they are going to come roaring out of the gate, uh, and I'm very, very, very excited for that. Um, speaking on a little bit more Marvel stuff before we wrap up, we are going to have a little bit of a shorter show tonight just because we've got some things going on. Um, Red Hulk is confirmed to be uh, going to be used in an upcoming project from Marvel. We don't know if it's going to be She-Hulk. We don't know if it's going to be a movie. It's most likely going to be... Um that he debuts in She-Hulk in some way or another just because of that tie-in to Bruce Banner with him being such an integral part of her origin story. Right. Um, with them being related. They are cousins, I believe. Yes. Yep. And um, it's been a while since I've, I've done anything with She-Hulk um, reading or, or, or anything like that. But they are cousins. Um, 
she ends up having some sort of disease, which they, uh, I believe was cancer, and they do a blood transfusion or something uh, like that. Yeah, I'm not sure about the disease part I know of what's going on, but it's a blood transfusion. That's how she, uh, and, she gets her powers. Yeah, she has some sort of genetic uh, reaction to it, to his blood being yes. injected into the stream, and she basically gets uh, the strength and the power, and she gets a little extra height to her. I think she's like almost seven, eight feet tall. Uh, uh, that but, sounds right. I'll be honest. She doesn't. Not, she not doesn't have. She has the. She has the physique. She has the green color, and I'm pretty sure she doesn't have the ability to go back to the way she was. She's just always green. Yeah, I eyes. believe she's always she Hulk. And she's um, she doesn't have that monstrous quality to her. She's still very very beautiful, and I think that's that speaks more to I think, how how they tried to approach that character when they originally envisioned her than it does to actually. Yes. Any sort of meaning to the character itself. And I think they're going to go... I think the way they're going to play off that, too, is now that we have Professor Hulk, technically, I think that's going to show, okay, Bruce has controlled himself, so anything that he gives, that rage is kind of non-existent regardless. I think that's kind of how they'll play that off. That makes a lot of sense in my mind. Yeah, that works well, um, and we know that, you know... General Ross, Secretary of State Ross, is going to have something to do with whatever's going on, because in the comic books... Ross is the Red Hulk. He is that human yes. counterpart to that. And from so far what we've seen, we've only seen the original film with Norton where they had the abomination, but yes. Ross never got his hands on anything there. Mm-hmm. However, I think since She-Hulk is going to be something that comes out after Falcon and Winter Soldier, we know that they're doing U.S. Agent, which means that they're going to be... I mean, ever since Erksine died in World War Two. Everybody's been trying to recreate the serum. I mean, yes. We know that even up to current day with, with that Hulk thing. That's what led to the Hulk being what he is and with Abomination being what he was and then being kind of scurried away and locked away in some unknown prison never to be heard or seen from again, which is partially a good thing. Um, but <clears throat> it, it makes sense that Ross might still be involved in some sort of project uh, like that. Um, and And getting to see how how things evolve from Falcon and Winter Soldier with whatever super soldier serum they have going on with U.S. Agent, uh, if he even has one. Um, that's likely going to be very key to how Ross ends up gaining that those powers in, in She-Hulk. Yep. So that's going to be the tie-in there. Uh, we know Isaiah Bradley is going to be a major factor, a major player in the Falcon and Winter Soldier series. We know from small excerpts that he is going to be kind of the uh, instigator for Sam taking up the mantle uh, because he is very reluctant to take up Captain Mantle in the series. Sorry about the barking, folks. My dogs have invaded our recording space because I I don't know why exactly. Um, One last thing we want to talk about real quick, just to wrap things up. Uh, Daniel Radcliffe has uh, pretty much debunked the Moon Knight rumors. He will not be playing in that. He will have nothing to do with that. Uh, As far as we know, actors lie all the time. It's chance that he may not is not able to say anything about it, but I doubt that. I really don't think he's going to have any involvement in it. Um, I can see him getting involved later in the future, but you never know. Um, I do believe that's everything. We like I said, short show tonight, but um, we talked about a lot of things, got a lot of things together. Um, so I do think that we're good. We're like I said, we're going to start new uh, releases on Saturday mornings, um, so we can get a little bit better recording schedule in and. Uh, That is everything that we want to talk about tonight. So you guys have a good night. Keep it together and... Keep it between the joysticks. We'll see you next time.